Welcome to Disciple Life, the Bible in Everyday Life, a podcast that aims to provide listeners with insights on how to live life as a disciple of Christ. This show tackles various topics such as how to grow in faith, deepen relationships with God and others, and serve others in a Christ-like manner. Pastor Dan, how are you today? Man, I am good. It is raining in May in South Texas. So <laughs> praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It is. Uh, it's going good, man. I think we have maybe got a half inch, or maybe some of us got three quarters of an inch overnight, and there's still some potential of uh, of rain in the forecast. So the rest of the week. Yeah, it's it's going good, man. How are you? So it's beginning to rain. Yeah. Anyway, so we or or you quoted this in the in our morning prayer today. Every every Tuesday we get together to pray outside. Of, uh, Holy Spirit rain down. Holy Spirit rain down. So yeah, welcome to another installment of Disciple Life, the Bible in Everyday Life. This is covering the teaching ministry of First Baptist Divine in South Central Texas, and here to my left, if you can see us on YouTube or if you're listening, don't worry about it. But here to my left is Pastor Dan Newberg, the senior pastor of First Baptist Church Divine. Uh, today we are going to just have a conversation about Luke chapter 4, and we are going to speak about uh, elements of the sermon from Sunday, uh, where you led us through Jesus' own declaration of his ministry and what that ministry would look like. <laughs> and then the very first altar call. I'm just going to leave that cliffhanger there. Yeah. The very first altar call, and pun, pun not intended on the cliffhanger. Um, wow. With that being said. I didn't even think about that. That's cool, the cliffhanger. With, anyway. that, with that being said, walk us through what's, what's the picture here, the background, as you led a bunch of back row Baptists into the back of a synagogue in the first century. Um, so... The, the text that uh, Brother Carlos is um, referring to comes in Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 30. Um, and what we have is a scene, if you will, that um, Jesus is now led by the Holy Spirit. He is um, coming in the power of the Holy Spirit, and he's gathering for worship um, with his brothers and sisters in his hometown of Nazareth uh, in a synagogue. Um, and he is invited to participate in the worship service after g having gained some notoriety for himself, not self-seeking, but just sure. notoriety had, had uh, accumulated for him through uh, some of the miraculous uh, events that uh, have been accredited to his name. And so he's invited to participate in the worship service uh, with the, um, the reading of a uh, a prophetic work uh, in in the Old Testament, and so he uh, calls for Isaiah to be read, and he reads a particular passage from Isaiah, and then goes on to expound or exposit or teach from that passage about its uh, its applicability to that day and age, um, and the the people to whom he preached um, at first they loved it, and then. They hated it, or more specifically, they hated the messenger. Um, and so it's a really interesting thing to consider that um, Jesus being the greatest of all in every way, faster, smarter, stronger than any person that has ever and will ever uh, live within time, um, and certainly the greatest preacher of all time, um, that his first sermon, if you will, that's recorded in Luke, 
you didn't have necessarily the a uh, the type of um, fanfare or response that many preachers today seek to um, not seek to but look to to validate their ministry. You know? <laughs> um, it, there there wasn't a uh, you know hundreds of people who were surrendering their lives to God or oh, but there know, were people there were people. <laughs> Um, and uh, there, there were not hundreds of people shaking his hand and patting his back and speaking about the eloquence in which he spoke. No, there wasn't anything like that. Come back next week, preacher. Anyway, yeah, no, 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 nothing like that. And so, um, anyway, that's that's kind of just the the cursory background to Jesus goes to preach a sermon. At, at, in his hometown. And so the text that he reads, and I believe the uh, it's out of Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. I could be wrong, but I believe that's yep. that's what the Bible said it is. So I'm just going to read it. It's verse 18. The Spirit, uh, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And so we have these words spoken by Jesus. Um, and I'm just going to leave it there because then you also connected it to the end all of the actual original place for this text in Isaiah. He left off a part, but we can address that later and how that impacts us as a church. So this is the, the sermon. And then he begins to explain that upon hearing these words, the prophecy was fulfilled. Mm-hmm. And so now walk us through... The similar reactions the church has today as to those in first century synagogue in Nazareth. Yeah, so what what, um, what the Spirit of God led Isaiah to record 800 or so years before the reading of this by Jesus in a Nazareth synagogue um, was Isaiah was... Um, was describing what the Messiah of God, what the Deliverer of God would do when God finally sent him. Um, And so Jesus has read this scripture and is basically outlining why he has been given life within time and what he is going to do with the rest of the time that he had on earth. Um, in fulfilling the mission of God in the person of Jesus Christ. Mm. And so what Jesus is announcing is that, hey, God led Isaiah to write this hundreds of years ago. And I need you all to know right now this is being fulfilled. And what he's announcing to them is that the pathway to fellowship or to reconciliation with God is not, um, is not limited to a certain people group, specifically the Jewish people, but the pathway to fellowship or reconciliation uh, with, to God is through the person of Jesus Christ and that there is no discrimination um, in terms of who can uh, who can come to God through Christ um, mm. in, in this message. And this is a reviling message to this original Jew- Jewish audience because for Jews of that day and age, 
the the mere suggestion that any non-Jew could be redeemed by God, could be in fellowship with God, was reprehensible. And so this is where I think the audience would benefit to remember that if we go back to the days of Noah, we see that there there is a, a the, the the element of shame and the separation. So that I believe, if I recall correctly, it is through Shem's line that the righteousness follows, because then that's where we end up with the families that come from Ur and of the Chaldeans, and that's where we see the one to whom God reaches out, Abram, and says, "Hey, leave everything you know, and I will make you a people," and that's where we see God making a covenant, the covenant that. It's lining up, pointing to Jesus. I will bless all nations because of you. Your children will be as numerous as the stars. And that goes then down the line to now we see the people um, come and, and lead us all the way to the birth of Christ. And so I think it's important for us to remember that in, even in the, giving of, in the giving of the law, when we go to the first five books of the Bible, we see this relationship between God and the Hebrew people because this is before they have a kingdom, and then between God and the and the the, pe the people from Israel, the Israelites, um, as God continues to uphold the covenant He made with Abraham, and the covenant that even points to again Christ, uh, in the way of seeing there was a pride element that somewhere along the line constantly sneaked sneaked in to take the eyes away from a nation of priests to the world, to all the nations, and only keeping it to themselves and thinking, ha, 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 type of thing. Yeah, so, and we, we have to remember that in creating, in calling Israel out of the world to give them this um, special vocation or to give them this special job, it wasn't so much to to keep the secret of God to themselves, but it was for them as a particular and peculiar people to, may, to be faithful to the covenant that God called them into right. so that by their covenantal faithfulness, they would reveal the glory of God through them. They would make this particular God known to the lost or to the pagan, to the Gentile world, to the non-Israel or non-Jewish people. Um, and where they, to, to bring your point home, where this becomes an issue is instead of being these people who revealed the one true God, Yahweh, they concealed him. And they, they then, in the course of their concealing of him, um, fail to, to even do what they were purposed to do. And they begin to, if you will, protect outsiders from ever even approaching this perfect God. Right. And so I, I think that was a very, uh, it's a wonderful point to see. But keep going. Tell us, how is this present in the church today? That The type of response that we see from the people in the synagogue against Jesus' message? Um, yeah, in every way. Um, this is absolutely present in the church. Um, and, and what I mean by that is um, what we see Jesus 
uh, approaching here in Luke chapter 4 is something that we would otherwise call, and this is a big word, and I will, I will explain it. Uh, he's, he's approaching and he is um, combating a, uh, an issue with something that we would call ethnocentrism. That mm. we, are, we are focusing on only a certain um, ethnic group and their ability to be in relationship to God. So it's an ethno or an, uh, a, an ethnic um, central view. And he's saying, no, that's not true. And so what, what people do, what humanity does in its sinfulness is humanity divides. And it's, humanity would seek to do, uh, create systems of power that, that promotes elements of itself um, that is absolutely sinful, and it is absolutely in rebellion to the fact that God rules over all. Mm. And that in His rule, these things that naturally divide us, He rules over them, and it is by His power, enacted through His love and through His grace, that um, that overcomes these things that our sinfulness would have otherwise seek to divide. So in this day and age, it's the, the, the Jew and non-Jew issue. Um, in our day and age, think about any, any of the number of ways that we can <laughs> seek to divide ourselves today. And I, I don't want to, belab to belabor points, but we seek to divide ourselves over anything that would give us um, access to power. Whether it's race, whether it's at times an, an, an a unhealthy bent on gender, um, a my goodness, just think about it. Um, it's almost like we can have a little target area and we can name different things and throw a dart at it, and that would be a cause of division. Yeah, man. I mean, there's like the color of hair, the color that you know, the color of our eyes, um, our our socioeconomic status. You know it. You know, churches can say we're we're lower class, middle class, or upper class churches. Mm -hmm. um, in a church in the United States, there might be a perception that you know there's only churches for Republicans or only churches for Democrats. Mm. Um, you want to talk about a division point there? Something that's sure still a pain point for me as 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 a pastor is. Churches of masks or no masks, or churches of shots and no shots, uh, talking back to pandemic things. Um, things that we introduce that become our, our lines in the sand um, that are points of division that ought not be. Right, and, and I think that's, uh, again, the message was very timely in the regards to that. Again, we're going into, again, and here in the United States, an election cycle. People are already being ugly, and there's all sorts of issues that, to your point, seek to divide us when people take stances over political, social, social matters, and then they try to make them gospel matters, which, don't get me wrong, everything is a gospel and theological matter, but it's not... Not everything is a central theological or gospel matter. Uh, to this point, I think we can in inject into this a healthy quote by Alistair Begg. We make the plain things the main things and the main, main things, things the plain things. things. Yeah. And so we want to encourage ourselves through this, reminding ourselves of that, and the audience that 
it's the gospel and nothing else, that it must be central. And I think what we see here is <laughs> the gospel offense, because what was the perception of the Messiah for the audience in Jesus' day? Yeah, so the Messiah was going to be not someone who proclaims a message to the poor or to the oppressed or to the blind, but he was going to be to the, the Gentile. Or to the Gentile. Um, he was going to be the general of generals who was going to lead a Jewish army, a great Jewish army, to rebel against the Roman authority and reestablish them as an independent monarchy or an independent nation of them. So they would, because this is the interesting thing, if you're reading through the Bible and you're not maybe making sense of the, the ebbs and flows of the different books, the very basic thing you need to know is that eventually in time there is such a nation known as Israel, um, and they, go, they, they get started, they have a king that's not so great, then a king that is well regarded, and then a son who only takes them even further um, into, into wealth and notoriety, and then after that the it thing just starts down. to fall apart. Yeah. Um, Everybody's fighting for power and eventually becomes a divided kingdom where there's a kingdom of the north and a kingdom of the south. Nobody's reading their Bibles anymore. In fact, it goes so far as to say that no one can even remember where they are. That's a message for people who keep their Bibles on their uh, nightstands or their coffee tables, right? Um, but the, um, it, it gets that bad. And despite God sending messengers to say, punishment's coming. And so the nation eventually does get punished, um, and the, the divine um, spanking board, if you will, are two different non-Jewish uh, pagan nations, one being Babylon, the other one being Assyria, who eventually overwhelm both of the kingdoms right. um, and draw out their people and try to assimilate and deculturalize them to make them lose their Jewish identity. And after a period of time... Um, the the Jews are freed from their exile and they are given the, the ability to return to their lands that they had previously, but they're never really independent of some foreign faction ruling over them. Um, they, be, they become more or less annexed states. And even when they were, it, it was a mess. Yeah. The intrigue of outside forces for 100 years from a little region trying to do that through the Hasmonean dynasty. It doesn't end well. Eventually, Pompey comes and says, enough with you. You become multiple provinces, and Judea becomes the now the, the little province. that That's where Jesus is doing most of his ministry. Samaria, Judea, and the, little, the area of Galilee above Samaria. Anyway, yeah. so... Yeah, so it's, it's all that to say that, I mean, by the time we come around to New Testament time, it's not Hasmoneans, it's not Babylonians, it's not Assyrians, but it's Romans who now are really the, the ones who uh, rule the land, so to say. And they just let this certain demographic have some aspect of their culture, but it's all subject to the emperor in Rome. Which, by the way, if you are reading along slowly as we go through this teaching series... You're going to, and that's my prayer for the audience, is that you will see that there are details that are pointing us to the glorious end of the gospel narrative in Luke. It's pointing us to this poignant climax and then the glorious resolution. Even now, we begin to see that happening. So let's talk about the response 
um, we know we know that the gospel offends. We know that Jesus is bringing hope, a hope that was not expected, certainly not in, in those days. And I think even now people misunderstand the hope that Christ brings into our lives. Uh, we can see that in the, in the New Age and many other ways of expressions, modern expressions of Christianity. Uh, I would say pseudo-Christianity, to be clear. What does it say that the very one who gave us this message of hope <laughs> obtained such an abhorrent uh, reaction, such a negative push from the people, quite literally? What does it say? What, in other it words, that, how does it impact us uh, even today as we read it? Or how should it impact us as we read it? Man, it should. And this sounds like a real Sunday school answer right now, but it should cause us to check our hearts. Um, and why, why I start there is we are so... Let me make this me instead of we. Sure. That's part of the point of what Jesus is getting to. He's, he makes this it a you thing. It can be me, we, and they. But yeah, and so I don't want to make it a you thing, so it's going to be an I thing right now. I'm a sinner. I'll confess that. Um, I can be very self-serving. That's a we thing. And I can be, I can, my, my sinfulness makes me want to serve myself. My sinfulness makes me want to promote myself. My sinfulness makes me want to seek power and glory for myself. And where, where this becomes a heart check thing is there is one sovereign. There is one king who rules. And he calls us to him to be his subjects. And we all have equal footing when we come to him through his cross, mm, right? Praise God. And so there's, there's nothing that gives me some great, um, great platform or standing above any other brother and sister in Christ. Now, our modern age may, may mislead people to think that because I am someone who stands under bright lights or I am a voice who's on this podcast, and so there must be something grand or significant about me, but I can assure you I put my pants on one leg at a time uh, amongst other very human things. We uh, clean toilets. We wash dishes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, did start, I put a little laundry in this morning at my home. There right? you go. Uh, but so, the, 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 the point here is, um, this is this offended those people then, and this offends us now because the gospel is, at one of its cores, the gospel's the gospel message is, is is plain, it is straightforward, yet the impact or the effect is multifaceted when we talk about um, the the nullification that it calls for for sin in our lives. The, the, what, what I see Jesus challenging in this message is our self-serving desire, my self-serving desire for power. because for the Jews, they had power over everyone else because they were the elect of Yahweh. And if you were not, then you were the least, or as one rabbi said before the time of Jesus, you were the fuel for hell. When you have that mindset about someone else who's been made in the image of God, you have elevated yourself to a place and position and status that, that, doesn't belong that to you. does not belong to you. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. 
And, and it's very easy, I, I would think, and I hope that the audience can make the connection that it's very easy to say, if you're not, you're just filling the blank. If you don't drive a Ford, if you don't have a 2,500 square foot home, if you don't have property, if you don't have a bank account with so many numbers in it, after not a zero in the front, but a large figure, if you are not American, in my case, if you're not Mexican, just trying to make it more personal, is the idea that whenever we do those type of comparisons and contrasts, I mean, what we're really saying is, I made an image of God, but you're not. Or you are less a reflection of God than I am. Oh, I see that thinking face. Or, I needed less of the cross than you. Oof. Oh, now, now he's preaching, folks. Ouch. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Again, the parable of, of the, um, the parable of the prodigal son. The older brother, the reaction at the end. All my life I've been so good, and yet I don't even have a small goat to have a party with my friends. And the father says, dude, all that I have is yours. Enjoy it. Rejoice because your brother has been, we thought him dead and he came back. That should be enough for you to rejoice. Mm -hmm. Meaning, you both have my love and grace and mercy. Anyway, I would like to, unless you have other thoughts to this, I would like us to address something that you left us with the cliffhanger. There's a cliffhanger here for Jesus. So tell us what the cliffhanger is in Luke, and then we'll come to the cliffhanger in Isaiah 61, verse 2. Yeah. So I wish I, I wish I was astute enough to put things in terms of cliffhanger, because then I could have pulled out some Sylvester Stallone references, because if you've ever seen that movie. Anyway. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I didn't think about cliffhanger things. So in, in the text in Luke, there is a literal cliffhanger because this message of, um, of the gospel um, and its availability to the non-Jew offends the Jews in that Nazareth synagogue, so much so that they're driving Jesus out like he is a cow. Um, so there's whipping and there's beating and there's spitting and they're driving him out to the edge of a cliff that the city of Nazareth is built upon mm. um, with the intention of driving him over that cliff and killing him because this message that he is supposedly God's Messiah and that the gospel in which or the good news in which God's Messiah is to proclaim <coughs> is one of Gentile inclusion for salvation. Mm. Um it's too much for them, and so they're going to kill him over it. Uh, foreshadow. Foreshadow. <laughs> yeah. yeah, foreshadow. There, there, there is a death of Jesus coming by the, by the influence or the hand of Jews, um, but it's not that day. Not that day. Um, and there is a miraculous uh, event that occurs in the dividing of this crowd who are uh, just completely enraged um, over this um, the crowd divides, Jesus walks through them and goes about his merry way, I think, um, going to Capernaum, where he will base his ministry thereafter. Um, so that's that's one element of cliffhanger is just, you know, what what how how does this crowd divide? How does Jesus get out of this otherwise um, very bleak circumstance? 
But the, the greater cliffhanger that I think Pastor Carlos is alluding to is what Jesus did not read in Isaiah chapter 61. Right. Because um, in offering uh, the job description of the Messiah, Jesus reads through the point in which he says that the Messiah would come to proclaim the year or the age, if you will, of the Lord's favor. Um, and he stops short of completing um, the rest of the verse in Isaiah. And this is what that verse says, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. Um, I think it's, um, it's interesting. And by the way, it finishes further, to comfort all who mourn. You made a wonderful point, uh, and by the way, if it sounds like I'm, I, I really enjoy him preaching, you should come hear him live. It's not his eloquence as much as it's the, the Spirit of God working through him as he submits to studying for each message, for which I'm thankful, is that we see things in, in a one-way street, like we see just linear history, and this is very evident in the way that Isaiah perceived this when God reveals it to him. But there are two acts. So why don't you walk us through that? Because that's the way you framed it yesterday. It's like going to a one-act play. Yeah, but it's a two-act play. Right. Um, in, in the sense that in the first coming of God in the person of Jesus Christ, it's, it's this act one in introducing the year or the age of grace in which you and I, audience, find ourselves in right now, where the Messiah is coming and he, is, uh, he has come and he, his message is one of invitation to free you from your blindness, mm -hmm. um, to, to preach good news to the poor, um, to, those, to those who are, who are without, um, and to, to preach good news to those who are bound and shackled by their sin. Yet, while we live in this age that we have been in for centuries um, this age will end and this age will end when our Lord returns for his second and final time um, and in his coming the grace in which we are afforded today will not be accommodated any longer and in his coming this judgment will come and the standard by which we are all judged won't be what you think is right or fair or what I think is right or fair, but the standard by which we will be judged is Him, who mm. is the Word of God. Yeah. Um, and if you are not found in Christ, that will not be a pretty time. I don't know any other way to say it. Um, you will know what hell is, quite literally. Um, and this is, it, I, I, I preached it that way because it being two acts, um, because that makes sense for people who live within time. Right. Um, you and I live within time, and we know that time has separated the first coming and the second coming of our Lord. Um, as God has inspired Isaiah to write this, we also have to understand that God is announcing through Isaiah the coming of the Messiah 
And he does so in the sense of one act, because in God's, God's perspective, uh, informing us that God exists outside of time, his first and second coming are the same time, right? They're like that. Right. Um, so it's not to call into question what God led Isaiah to record, um, but it is to help us to understand that for us who are limited and exist within time, we encounter these, um, this age of favor or this age of grace and this age of judgment as two distinct things. One from God's grand view, who can see the, the past, the present, and the future all in one, these do happen together, right. so to say. So that may be, that may make your brain hurt a little bit, but it's okay for our brains to hurt a little bit as we worship Him with our minds too. Um, but that's what's occurring here. Sure. And and by the way, in case you're not catching this, dear uh, viewer or listener, what's happening here is Pastor Dan is leading us at a very tactical, meticulous space through this gospel with breaks in between so that we aren't burnt out by the same reading and pattern. Um, and yet, this is with the hope that we can learn to appreciate the small details that we read in the Bible, and we can appreciate uh, the crucifixion for all for all of all that it is. And if we can appreciate the crucifixion for all that it is, as the text re reveals to us, how much more can we appreciate the resurrection for all that it accomplishes on our behalf? So, any closing thoughts? No, other than. This age of grace can conclude when the Lord sees fit. Thank you for listening to Disciple Life, the Bible in everyday life, with Pastors Carlos Garduño and Dan Newberg. We encourage you to send any questions for the podcast to info at fbcdivine.org or by commenting on the audio platform of your choice. We look forward to engaging with your questions during future episodes.